Hello, and welcome to Reader Radio. I'm Bridget Fogarty, a reporter with The Reader and your host today. In Omaha, there are so many incredible stories of youth resilience, entrepreneurship, and young people stepping up as leaders. But far too often, those stories come with common themes. Young black and brown Omahans experiencing racism and microaggressions, the feeling that Nebraska isn't a welcoming state, and the tendency to look to other cities and states for opportunities because some young people don't always see a future here for themselves. As I report on immigration and education, and as, you know, a young person in Omaha myself, I'm always wondering, how do we build more welcoming communities, and what does it really take to make Omaha and Nebraska more inclusive? Today, you'll hear my conversation with Maggie Wood and Cami Watkins, whose team works every day to answer those questions. They're the two executive directors of Inclusive Communities, a nonprofit organization leading businesses and high school students and others in the community in education and advocacy related to diversity and inclusion. For over 80 years, their organization has been doing this, and we met up at the reader's office on a cold night in February to talk about the work they've been doing. You'll also get to learn more about their newest role with the National Federation for Just Communities. I'll let them take it from here. So I'm Cami Watkins, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm one of the executive directors at Inclusive Communities. What do you do in Omaha? She wants to know. Um, I live my life here. <laughs> I am a second generation Omahan, so born and raised, um, and have been here, and I've been with Inclusive Communities. It will be five years on February 10th. Uh, and so have been a really great ride and experience working here. And so me being one of the executive directors and Maggie will introduce herself in a moment was uh, we just started that in September. So this co-leadership. And so that's been really exciting. But I've really been working as a partner with this woman here for since I started. Maggie Wood, uh, she, her, hers are the pronouns that I use. I'm also an executive director at Inclusive Communities. Cami and I have a shared leadership role within the agency. As she's mentioned, it just started in September. So um, I moved to Omaha in 1997, and I was working for the general contractor that built the federal courthouse on 18th and Dodge. And they were like, do you want to move to Omaha for three years? And now here it is 25 years later, still in Omaha. Uh, I have been at Inclusive Communities for about six and a half years and was... I'm really excited the day that Cami took this position five years ago. So um, it's just been a great and challenging ride ever since. And so for people listening that may have heard of inclusive communities but haven't really ever been a part of any programs, can you just tell us what is Inclusive Communities? Yeah, so Inclusive Communities is a 501c3 nonprofit um, human relations organization. So we started back in 1938. We uh, have been working since then, and the mission has always been to address bigotry and discrimination around faith and race. So we started originally as an organization called the National Conference for Christians and Jews, which is a national organization, and we started the Midlands chapter in 1938, and we'll talk a little bit more about the national in a minute. But we do programming for businesses, schools, governmental agencies, and our mission is to confront prejudice, bigotry, and discrimination, period. And so that's a really broad mission, intentionally so, because there's so much work around there. And that's why we are in every facet of any space where people and humans live, work, um, and learn. And Maggie, could you tell me more about some of the programs that folks throughout Omaha 
are a part of that are under the larger umbrella of inclusive communities. Absolutely. So as Cami mentioned, you know, we do a lot of different work wherever there is a need. So we do education with youth, also community work, as well as within the business world. So the heart of everything that we do is a four-day residential camp for high school students called Inclusity. And that really has... Um, been the flagship of everything that we do. Again, having the opportunity to meet with 60 to 70 high school students that are coming from various schools here in Omaha, from rural schools. Um, we even have students that come down from the reservations in Todd County, South Dakota as well, um, and get to participate in a weekend full of learning and getting to know each other and building community. Um, you know, one of our ideas around this work is that if you're building community when students are younger, they'll feel a sense of belonging here. And so how do we help encourage that sense of belonging and provide opportunities for students to come together and realize that they actually have more in common than they are different. Um, so a lot of times it's really just breaking down barriers. Um, so again, like that's such a beautiful program. We've been doing it for over 25 years. Two of our board members were students at Inclusity when they were in high school 15 years ago, and they're both attorneys now. So they've brought such a great, you know, fresh breath of knowledge and energy to the work and the policies that we're creating um, one of the needs that we really found was when these students came back to us, they were like, inclusivity was great. We love to volunteer with that. We get so filled up and now I'm working at this job and they're not listening to me. And I really felt like I had, you know, a group of people that really heard me and appreciated what I was bringing to the table. And so we really started realizing that we have been preparing these students for the world but we haven't prepared the world for the students. So I'd love for Cami to talk a little bit more about the work we do in the business community. Yes. And so, well, before we go into the business, I'm going to talk about our community work, which is a really, so kind of an order of the length of our programs. So we have a community conversation series called Omaha Table Talks, which is expanded. We also have a queer table talks, which is a partnership with Out Nebraska based out of Lincoln, um, the AAPI, as well as the Native American Table Talks. And so like focusing on conversations and stories, it's usually those things that you don't talk about that are not polite to talk about over the dinner table. And the program started, was actually originally started by Catholic Charities and something that they learned about was happening in Dallas and they brought the program here to Omaha and then Catholic Charities passed the program over to us and so we've been running it ever since and it's been just such a great opportunity to have those uncomfortable conversations over comfort food but the pandemic has put a halt but now the comfort food's just in your house so you're still having it and then our business programming um, ranges from just one day workshops to year-long engagements and consultation and like strategic planning or um, strategy development for businesses that are really looking to truly dive into equity diversity and inclusion in their workspaces we also have a leadership program which we we started three years ago, so we're on our third cohort called Lead Diversity, which is up to about 35 people, and they spend 10 months together learning um, more in depth. So as opposed to most leadership programs, there's only one day that they talk about diversity inclusion. We have every single month, so one day a month, where they're really diving into different areas around ability, um, institutional inequities and systemic issues, faith and sexuality and gender identity. So all of those things they really get to explore, which enhances their leadership development and being able to be those leaders that are really prepared to 
talk with and embrace diversity and foster inclusion. I'm wondering how you engage with folks who are hesitant to have those important conversations or folks who aren't willing to have conversations. I think one of the things that we really focus on, um, well, two of the things. One is no shame. No shame from where you are, from where you're coming from. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of emotional labor to prep ourselves and our team to be in those spaces. However, um, we know that in order to get people to move along with the idea of equity as um, as it appears in the world or as it could appear um, is to, again, not shame them and then to meet them where they are, because that's the number one thing is we go in and we assess, OK, where is this person? Is this person coming with a lived experience um, to this work? Is this person brand new to this work? Do we need to start with language? Do we need to start with policy? But really engaging with them in a dialogue and finding out what work have they already done? Where are they coming from? We can best be creative, strategic consultants for them on what kind of programming do you need? What kind of programming does your staff need? Um, what are your goals? What are the things that we can help you do? Yeah, and it's so important because sometimes you can get caught up in, I really want to get this message out. I really want these people to hear. But we have to make sure that people are ready to hear it. And so you have mm -hmm. to ensure that you're giving it in a way where they can learn, that they can find out the accountability. How do we move forward? Because if we start at a level that's above everyone's heads, we're just talking to hear ourselves talk. Mm -hmm. And so what we've really mastered when we're going into spaces or starting these conversations is just laying out, first, let's just talk about how are we going to treat each other in this space? What are some of our community agreements and things that we can make together of what we expect? And first starting with, there's, this is not a shaming and blaming space. Mm -hmm. None of us are perfect and every one of us are continuing to learn. So how do we move forward first with that understanding? And then once we get a chance to kind of know, we always do an icebreaker. So you, you kind of get a sense and you can see with people and where they're at. And we always, when we do businesses, we do a consultation call and we ask them, what's the lay of the land? Where are people at? How many of these trainings have you done? If you've never done them, we know we're starting more at a foundational level because, again, it does not help to start over where people are at because they're not going to take in the information because we're not talking with them. We're talking at them. Mm -hmm. Is there kind of a an example or experience of, of a particular, you know, Omaha business or group, um, whether you want to say their names or not, um, you know, that where you've been able to start at that foundation and seen growth over time? You know, there's a lot of, and that's the type of work that we really like to do. Now, we understand not everyone has the financial capabilities or the time, especially when you get to like a call center, spaces where people are on very limited time and they want to invest, they want to engage in it. But it's hard because their business is dependent. And especially with a lot of our small local businesses, they want to engage in this, but they don't have the time to be able to have a year long engagement with us. But when we do get those opportunities, it's it's really beautiful to see um, that they'll start with, okay, we're going to do a workshop for all of our staff and it'll just be a full day workshop and we'll start there. And then we move into our action planning, which is our 
year-long series of where they then put together a committee and we send have a trained facilitator that meets each month with that committee to help them put in place whatever goals or plans some of that is they want to develop their vision statement they want to start implementing some of the these equity and inclusion concepts and ideas into their their strategic plan so it's whatever that goal some of them it's just we want to set up a book club because we need to create a process for us to continuously have these conversations and challenge and be challenged Um, and then after that uh, for us it's really important continuity and sustainability it's something that we have made an important pillar of our own organization where it's not just about doing it one time but how do we sustain it and ensure that we have it set up for the institutional for all time. Um, So then the last thing that we do is we'll do our action training where we will then train some of the staff on how to develop their own curriculum and then how do they start to do this themselves? Because the best people are those that are in the culture and understand how things work, evolve and move. Like sure, it would be great for people to keep paying us every time, but that's not gonna get us to where we're getting to change policy and then eventually getting to change the system that everyone works within. And so by training those staff, then we get to see them going forward and continuing this even after their engagement with us is over. I'll also add, um, we did have somebody sort of give us some criticism and was like, you know, you all are everywhere. Inclusive communities is everywhere. And we were like, oh, thanks. And he was like, but should you be everywhere? Are you doing too much? Are you taking on too much? And, you know, there was an uh, a person on our team who um, just had some really great insight. And essentially she said, you know, we need to be everywhere that racism and oppression is happening. So therefore, we are everywhere. And, you know, we've had the opportunity, you know, whether it's realized or not, how does the culture of white supremacy seep into every single thing that we're doing? And that's really one of the things, again, through the evolution of us doing this work together, of us doing this work with other individuals in this community, we're starting to see what are the trends? Where have people stopped at their vertical development in learning what it is to truly relate with other humans? So, you know, these are some of the things that when we're looking at where are spaces that we can go to, humans interacting are the same, no matter what industry, no matter what age, you know, that's the other piece of it too, is we really rely on learning a lot from the students. We are building this world for them. You know, I think we have one of those rare opportunities right now to be the ones that are like understanding who's coming up behind us and making sure that we're clearing pathways for them so they can actually get something done because it's exhausting. Yeah, because absolutely. We know that our schools look vastly different than our workplaces. And that's been that kind of the looming challenge for business leaders that are really paying attention to say, you know, our demographics are changing, but we shouldn't just shift because our demographics are changing. Because even if our demographics were the same, we still should not continue to exist in the same way that we have. And that becomes that next challenge for everyone. It's there's these steps. And once you start to see better, you can do better. And when you know better, you can actually fight to shift those power and differences and fill those gaps of inequity. And that's really where we are taking our our really great partners and um, collaborators that were and co-conspirators in some spaces that we're working with they are looking at how do we shift the entire system. And for a long time, we've really just only gone where we're invited when people have contacted us and asked us to come in. But now we're really having some great opportunities to go into places where we know they're 
they may or may not be ready or they're on the precipice and they could use our support in getting over that hump or crossing that bridge to really bringing equity, diversity, inclusion concepts, ideas into practice. You know, Cami, you already kind of told us a little bit about the origins of inclusive communities, but connect the dots for me on what is the National Federation for Just Communities and how does inclusive communities fit in? So, yeah, the National Federation for Just Communities is the kind of second iteration of the National Conference for Christians and Jews, which started in the late 1920s. Um, The National Conference for Christians and Jews was started originally, and interestingly enough, when we look at the history, it was started because there was some harmful rhetoric being used by presidential candidates against um, Protestants and Catholics and Jewish individuals. And there were some business folks, and I think it was started in New York. Um, I believe, yeah, New York was the very first chapter. And they just were like, this is, we can't sit back and let this happen. And so they started this organization. And then as different um, counties or affiliates or organizations recognized or saw about this and were facing similar issues, like we started here, um, our founder Otto Swanson started in 1938 because there were some business owners that wanted to have a secret boycott against Jewish-owned businesses. And because of that, they decided, nope, we're not going to do that here. We need to start something. And that's when we started it here. So the NFJC came about because flash forward to about 2005, the NCCJ decided to, had shifted some names, but decided to um, dissolve and they started in 2006. But the organization and many of the affiliates, and there's about 16 of us around the country, have been around for about 75 years. So it's really old. We are just a group of like-minded a coalition of like-minded organizations that are working to really promote justice and equity for all within our community. And NFJC's mission is to really support each of these because we know this work can be really hard and it can be really isolating. And while we each need the autonomy to be able to do the work in our communities the way it needs to be done, we still can gain and learn because there's a lot of concerted efforts to dismantle um, the steps and the things that we're doing around talking about things like race equity and white supremacy and all of those and ableism and ageism and all of those other isms that create divisions between individuals in our community and devalue people with differences and having this federation has been a really great way and resource for us to grow and build And we decided to throw our hat in the ring, looking at the transition and the work that we've been doing here, especially around our shared leadership, having the um, knowledge base that Maggie and I bring, we thought, let's go ahead and see if we can bring this to Nebraska. And I think it's really important that we were selected, especially to bring this hub of great, brilliant minds really in the trenches, working on diversity, equity, inclusion issues, but to have its central office or essential kind of coordinating administrators be here in Nebraska, I think is huge for us. This work has been long. It, it, it has been needed all of this time. And um, 
being able to commune with other folks who everybody's at a different place too. You know, every city is completely different. And when we really look at how does Nebraska help benefit the, the rest of the nation? You know, I'm really excited for this challenge. You know, I think Nebraska has, you know, people think, oh, the Midwest, they've got some flat land and some cows and it's just a bunch of farmers. And, you know, but there's a really diverse, vibrant community here that, again, has such potential um, that we want to make sure that we are the leaders in this work and that we're being recognized as the leaders, I think, is another fantastic piece. Um, and our willingness, I think it's just pure willingness to do really hard work. Um, that is, there is no clear, um, you know, way forward, but we're going to figure out what that way is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe those roadblocks that you're seeing for young people of color in Nebraska and in Omaha in particular? What are some of those major roadblocks here in Omaha? I would say it's a new term that we just learned and it's adultism. And I think that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest next to also the gatekeeping and all of the things that happen here. And yes, that exists in many communities, but there's a special kind of gatekeeping that we have here where we have folks that are, have been fighting the good fight for so long. And then because we want people to do things exactly the same way that we did it, we don't allow others to spread their voice and elevate that voice, especially the youth coming in or just graduating from high school and deciding, do I start my career here? Or do I leave and go someplace where I can actually thrive? And I think that adultism of like, well, we know better and we're just treating youth as if you don't know. When you're told so many times, you don't know, you don't get it, you don't understand, you quit trying and you find a place that is going to actually lift your voice up and share power with you. So I think in some ways that's a big barrier, one of the biggest barriers that we face here. I'll echo that. That is absolutely correct. Um, one of the many facets of, you know, just the struggle of uh, a city that's on the verge, has always been on the verge of greatness. I feel like that's one of the reasons why I stuck around in Omaha was like, I was like, it has so much potential. You know, I was really like, oh, the, these things are accessible here, but they were accessible to me as a white person moving to this town. And are they accessible to everyone that moves here? I remember looking for a place to live right after I moved here. And, you know, the folks that I was talking to were leading me, were definitely leading me to certain areas of town and places to stay away from. And really, when we look at the cycle of how things are socialized and how things become um, real ideas to people, you know, there's always this thing that in Omaha where they're saying North Omaha is not a great place to live or North Omaha is dangerous or North Omaha is bad. And then all of a sudden you find yourself believing that and then sharing that with someone else. And so you are contributing to the institutionalization of an idea when that is not true at all. But the, the lore here is such that these things are true and everybody believes them. So therefore they are. Um, Nebraska itself has incredible potential as well. And one of our strategic objectives as an organization is to have the most inclusive communities in America happening here in Nebraska. Um, and that isn't limiting ourselves in any way, shape or form. However, we really feel like that's 
casting a really solid goal out there and a dream and idea for us to manifest um, how does it come from the middle of America? You know, we have this Omaha, we don't coast and we have Nebraska. It's not for everyone. Um, but it really truly could be the good life for a lot of people right now. It's the good life for some, and that's fantastic. And we want to encourage that. And again, how do we make that a, a, an equitable place? So everyone feels like they're succeeding. Well, and our state model is equality above the law. And so mm-hmm. let's just live. That's what we want to live. We want to create equality for everyone, um, and that's not the reality in our state and our, in our country. And so that's the work that we have to work to break down. And I think people are future generations, our current generations, and even, and we have to be really cognizant that people, it's not just people of color that are leaving. Like there are people mm-hmm. that value humanity and all of our humanity is impacted when we aren't caring for those that have been historically oppressed and marginalized. And our city is really great about having all of these mentoring programs, which are wonderful and mentors are valuable, but you can't mentor me out of my blackness. And so until we recognize that we need people to share power, because we have a very highly educated community of African-Americans in Omaha. Um, However, we still make significantly less than the average white family here. Mm -hmm. That's an issue and those are patterns and we have to start to look at those different patterns and those things and what creates this. And it doesn't just come from African Americans in this community not having enough resources or intelligence because the data is showing us that we are just as educated and really education isn't the key, only key factor because 34% of Omahans, only 34% of Omahans have a higher higher, um, ed degree so outside post-secondary so it doesn't like and we know that there are several people here that are so these barriers that are creating it's creating barriers for everyone not only are people of color but people with disabilities people with different gender identities and sexual orientations so it's a, a part for all of us and it's imperative for all of us to work on how do we shift this how do we change it because when we push up that rung at the bottom of the ladder we're going to bring up everybody else and I'll say there's no you know here's the formula for changing this it's there's no clear pathway however we know that there would be no pathway if people just weren't moving forward and that's what we want to keep um, our community moving forward so we want to be a catalyst for driving that change and helping people find the courage to confront prejudice, bigotry, and discrimination. You know, Cami paraphrased Maya Angelou earlier, when you know better, you do better. That's absolutely the idea around this work is, okay, now you know that this potentially could have this impact on the people of color that work for you. Do you still want to make this same policy? Then, you know, then people get the opportunity to be educated and informed so they're making better decisions that serve everyone. talk about you know the framing that some folks have who've never been to Nebraska I wonder what you think that either national media even local media 
gets wrong about the framing of Nebraska's uh, and Omaha's um, communities of color, immigrant communities, what do you think gets wrong in that narrative? I think the same thing that gets wrong in several narratives is that we're a monolith. That when we look at our immigrant communities and when we look at our refugee communities or our English English language learners, our African-American, our Latine individuals, that we're, we don't get the satisfaction of being seen as the diaspora that we are. We are meant to fit a certain narrative. And then if you're outside of that narrative, then you're um, assumed to be the outlier. And that's just not true. And so I think it's something that, especially when we look at people with influence, business leaders, and then also the media about how we portray communities. We look at white communities and and many of them are able to be defined in a multitude of ways. And time and time again, our communities of color often aren't. So I think that's the biggest Mm -hmm. takeaway is like we have to stop talking about any individual community as a monolith and assuming that because you have the words from one person that it's indicative of an entire community. No one can speak for one community. I like one of my biggest pet peeves during a lot of the civil unrest in 2020 was folks were saying, well, why don't they bring, who are the black leaders? Who are the leaders? I was like, I don't ever hear anybody asking where are the white leaders? (laughs) Um, Like we didn't take an election. We didn't have any votes. Like why do you, like if you want to hear voices from people within the community, go talk to people in the community. Um, Some of us and many of us are leaders in different spaces in different ways, but it's not just of our alone in this area. So I think that would be a message for individuals that I would want to give is that Nebraska communities, just like your community anywhere where you're at, stop looking at the these communities of color as a monolith and really acknowledge the duality of human existence as it is and truly invest in knowing people as individuals. Mm hmm. And with the unrest in 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, I'm wondering how that changed the work that you do. For our organization, keeping our people, making sure the people that keep this organization running was most important. So I think what how it shifted was that we spent a lot more time focusing on how do we care for the people in this office so that they can then go hold all of the things that they need to hold for the people in the community. Because right after George Floyd was murdered, we had so many phone calls. We had so many people. And even though we weren't meeting in person, which is ideally the best way to have these dialogues and these conversations, um, people were wanted to do this online. So we had to shift our entire work plan into being online. And I tell you, our team did a phenomenal job of answering that call. And then we just started having conversations like, again, so many people like for those of us in the work and doing this every day, we knew that these conversations had to be had, but there were hundreds of thousands of people in the city that had never had the conversation. So we spent a lot of time setting up dialogue, setting up fishbowl conversations, doing um, office like community conversation setups, but then also doing that foundational work and just teaching about language, microaggressions and what that does, all of those little pieces. And so many people end up forming diversity groups and, but they weren't giving resources, but then they were just appointing the people of color to be part of this diversity group, assuming that just because you're black or Latine or Asian, you can run 
and folks are like, I've never had these conversations either. So it was a education for everyone. So that I would say that's how it definitely changed is that we just really saw a investment from many places. Um, it was surface level for many, and that's the reality um, of it. I don't want to sugarcoat that, that for many, they wanted to do it in that moment because it was timely and everybody was doing it. But um, had they invested truly in doing it, I think we could see a lot more change than we have already. Yeah. And that's just where I wanted to go with it. Again, you saw those desperate pleas of understanding from influencers and Instagram stories. And I just didn't know, and I need to be educated. And here are all the books by um, people of color that I'm reading. Here are all the authors that I'm reading. And look at me, look at all these things that I'm doing. And, you know, for the most part, again, like it's almost been two years later. And I have heard several people say they're tired of talking about it. Like it was a season. Like it was episodes on HBO Max of, and just like that, no one talked about it again. So it's frustrating to know that we were bombarded with folks that really wanted to understand and we shifted our agency to meet that need. And we still are. There are still so many people out there and there's so much room for other people to be doing this work too. I mean, we're not the only folks doing this kind of work in this town. Um, you know, how do we support them? Those are some of the things that we really tried to look at. Um, because again, um, because that initial wave that had come through, you, there are folks that aren't sustaining it. And you start to see like, what were the, the virtue signals that were being put out there? What were people just wanting to be able to say, we do these things without actually doing them? Yeah. And getting uncomfortable we were going through the same shift and challenges, which is why we took some steps back and said, we need to adjust the way that we do things here. And then that allowed us to then go back to those other folks and say, here's how we are shifting and changing. We know that it can be scary and it can be hard. And I tell you, we do still have those folks that are just getting their first trainings or their first workshops coming. And I love those folks because those people were showing up before 2020 and they're going to continue to show up after because they recognize it's important that they're ready for those culture shifts. And I will say that one of the big things that we really started to lean more into after this is that we can't just talk about how do you recruit more people in. It has to be about retention. And to talk about retention, you have to talk about culture. So in addition to talking about diversity and inclusion, we talk a lot about culture because that's the key um, and universal across all barriers and levels of oppression and discrimination. If we aren't addressing how we treat the people in our workspaces and making sure that that they are taken care of, we can't truly expect them to tr give good quality, equitable services to everyone else around them. And that's been the big shift. And then after that, it's talking about how do you change your policies and your practices? Because it's enough to just say, okay, well, we have this conversation with our leaders and our managers and our directors, and now they all get it. People leave. That's reality of every business. So we are seeing more businesses that are coming to us that maybe started out with that kind of performative work and then heard the message and now are accepting the challenge to change their practices, to change their policies and shift. Um, it's easier on a sometimes these smaller organizations because there's not as many levels of bureaucracy. 
but we are seeing that happen. It's not on as fast as we'd like it to be, and it's not as grand as we'd like it to be, but we know that you can't eat an elephant and all in one bite. And so it's taking those small steps towards progress so that all of a sudden, and it's behind the scenes, um, because we don't want to shame and blame people, we're not talking out loud often about who we're working with because it's it'll it gives them the chance to make the mistakes because we're all going to make mistakes. This isn't going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. For somebody who is in a workplace and they are feeling maybe isolated or, you know, they see changes they want to make, what would you say maybe three steps or a couple steps to try to implement some of the things that you, you work on? Well, the first thing has Maggie be contact inclusive communities um, and we can walk you through that. But I would say get secure in your why. So many businesses, and now you're getting some free work and then I'm gonna really need you to contact inclusive communities. <laughs> um, there's a lot of businesses that decide they're gonna do this and then when we sit down with them, the first question I ask is why are you doing this? And they say, oh, well, because we're, and they're always thrown off by the fact that I've asked why. Why are you doing this? And if it's just because everybody else is doing it, that's not a good enough reason. Um, and they say, well, we want to have more diverse talent. It's important to have diverse talent. And then I say, why? Um, get to your why. If you don't really have a good solid why for why you're doing this, once the critics come and the critics will come and you face a little bit of that, those barriers and that pushback, you're going to run away. And then it's not sustainable. And then you're not actually going to do it. So, but if you're secure in your why and where it's built strongly into your values, your mission of your organization and your business and why you exist, then you have your marching orders to go forward. Second thing is put a plan together. Um, Venus and Serena Williams' dad is like, every plan, if you have a plan and work the plan, the plan works. Um, too many people go into the work of de- wanting to invest more in culture and inclusion and equity and they just think it's just going to happen by happenstance because we've put up a little banner that says we're a welcoming in place where we want everybody to belong. Nothing happens in our businesses that way. We have to treat this the same way we would any other new strategic initiative or progress or plan. And then the third thing is implement the plan. <laughs> Don't just then put the plan oh my goodness and that's don't get me started on Omaha and the number of plans (laughs) that we spend so much time researching and doing and then that plan that beautiful beautiful plan sits on a shelf don't be like Omaha (laughs) city government um and put the plan into place and start there and then know that it's never going to be finished that this is a journey, not a destination. You will have certain milestones and check marks that you will accomplish, but that it's going to evolve because people evolve. People are unpredictable. We're in a VUCA world right now. VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That is the reality of our world right now. So once we come to that understanding and know that we just have to be flexible and nimble and the best, most successful companies are flexible and nimble and understand the reality of the situations that we're in right now, they can move these things forward. I'll also add just from being in conversation with other white women and, you know, they've never had the opportunity to really have open dialogue with people of color. Um, You know, how do you just get curious? 
you know, that is a very, very simple place to start, you know, asking within your company, like maybe you're not the leader, maybe you're not the one setting up the program. However, you're in it and you're like, how do, what, what are our policies? You know, just becoming aware and paying attention to how you see folks that don't look like you are being treated, you know, who they're, you know, how can you be more welcoming to other individuals as well? So that would just be like a very, very simple there's like not a lot of risk with that until you start asking questions. And then, you know, how do you get curious in a way that is going to move things forward? So all of this work is evolving and it's building upon one thing after another. So if you have to start somewhere, get curious about what don't you know? Cammie Watkins and Maggie Wood are the co-executive directors of Inclusive Communities. Maggie, Cammie, thank you so much for coming on Reader Radio. If you want to learn more about Inclusive Communities or find out how to get involved, we've linked their website as well as their social media in the description of this episode, wherever you're listening. This podcast was produced by me, Bridget Fogarty, at our newsroom in South Omaha. The theme music you heard in this episode was produced by John Ricks. You can find him at P0H underscore K on social media. And if you have any ideas you want to share or thoughts about who you'd like to hear next on Reader Radio, let us know. You can find us on Twitter at TheReader underscore Omaha or on our website at TheReader.com. Thanks for listening and stay tuned till next time.